Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. It's Monday, December 18th, 2017. Still? Still. <laughs> we got some holidays coming up. We're doubling up. Yes, we are. Uh, so, 2017, huh? What a year. Yeah, you know, as um, as the year draws to a close, when we all start looking backwards and forwards, you know, most media outlets take this time to do kind of year in review because it lets them write it in mid-December and then publish it at the end of the year when everyone's on vacation, which is what we're going to do. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to do kind of a year in review episode, talk about some of, uh, some of the highlights and lowlights of 2017. Do you want to start? And yeah. So I think we will start with the best book you read in 2017. And I'm making that, that you read in 2017 because, uh, unlike you, I don't, I'm not caught up enough on my books to read things that come out this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I have to say for me, it's hard cause I'm probably reading it right now in Oathbringer by Sanderson, but I'm going to mm -hmm. go ahead and say that I, I really, really enjoyed the red, red rising trilogy by Pierce Brown since I can't mm -hmm. cast full judgment on Oathbringer yet. And just a little shout out to uh, Miss Bourne's Secret History as that was just a novella, but that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Did that come, did that come out this year? Uh, maybe it was the end of last year. It's in the Arcanum Unbounded, okay. his short story oh, okay. collection. Right, 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 right. Uh, so it's just a little short story that takes place simultaneously with the original Miss Bourne trilogy. Yeah, I had, uh, yeah, yeah, right. I think we talked about this. This is more from... Uh, the Lord Ruler's perspective. No, right? no, no. It's it's a, it's too spoiler to talk about. It's okay, it's like the most spoilerific thing you can possibly imagine. So um, okay. I would not recommend reading it until after you've read all of the Mistborn books to date, and then oh, go wow. back and read it. I mean, it, it it involves stuff from the next era as well. Yeah, so. I uh, I had Alloy of Law in my cart, my Amazon cart today, uh, because I have a lot of um, driving coming up. This week because you know i've got a I've got some got some work travel and some holiday stuff so i was like gotta get an audiobook and uh i was this close but i i just didn't pull the trigger oh, man i think you'll like that one uh but yeah i think i think i'd go with that like the red rising trilogy really stood out to me as something new and fresh it was new it wasn't new from this year but it's fairly new in the 2010s era um also because i read a shit ton of orson scott Carr this year i didn't really want to pick any of those books so um i just thought that it did a really it was you know had some, some is just one step above pulpy, but just a lot of fun. And I would really recommend it to someone looking to maybe get into sci-fi or a veteran who's just looking for something a little fresh. I would really recommend it. How about you? So my book, and I actually went back and looked at all my Kindle orders for the year, just to actually like get a sense of what I read this year. Smart. And it was all a bunch of just like serialized high fantasy nonsense. Whoops. Thank you very much. Um, but no, my, the favorite book that I read this year was The City and the City, uh, China Miaville. And I only read it uh, pretty recently, um, but I am not picking it just because it's, it's recent memory. I actually went back and looked at everything I read. Um, and... I think it's of, of everything I've read, it's the one that has stuck with me the most um, because it's a book about uh, about our blind spots as people and the way that we are trained to ignore certain things and how that then shapes our perception and our culture. And just that idea of, you know, zooming out from your own life and think about like, what are things that I drive past, walk past, you know, see, and I ignore, that I move on from. And the question is, why do I move on from those things? Why do I ignore those things? You know, kind of choose not to see them. Um, and is that some kind of cultural programming? You know, like, am I being, you know, was I programmed to ignore these elements of my society, to not notice these things. And whose decision was that? And how is that used to control society? And it's such a fascinating way to explore that, those blind spots, um, and wrapped up in a pretty cool little um, sci-fi fantasy uh, kind of way. So that was the best one for me. And particularly important in a year like 2017, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I definitely want to read that soon. I think I think that once I finish Oathbringer, 
I'm going to term the first quarter or half of 2018 the year of trying to me of you for me <laughs> because I owe you Good. big time. Yes, you do. Um, I read like 900 of those <laughs> magic books. <laughs> All right. So what about movies? Movies. Um, so I'll go first. I'm torn on this. Um, and, you know, little peek behind the curtain. You and I were literally just 10 minutes ago talking about Last Jedi. Um, so that one's real fresh in my brain. Um, and because it's so fresh, I don't know if, I, if I'm going to include it in my analysis. So I'm saying that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in my movie of the year, I'm taking Last Jedi out of consideration just because I, you know, I'm still kind of on the high of Last Jedi. So it wouldn't be fair to movies that came out earlier in the year. So um, I will include it in the 2018 list, I guess, if we're not living in a nuclear uh, crater. Um, by that point. So I am torn between Logan and Blade Runner 2049 on this. Although I'm leaning a little bit more towards Logan, but both these movies, they have, they are beautiful and kind of singular in their production design and their, the way they look and sound and feel. And even in the case of Logan, like smell, like, don't you feel like you can kind of even smell that movie Yeah, <laughs> when you're watching it? Um, like they stick with you in ways that other movies don't um, just the way they're made, but also the storytelling and the story that they, the, you know, the, the story that they're telling has a way of kind of getting at you. And I think I'm going to lean towards Logan because I think Blade Runner true to its source material um, did more of just kind of put interesting questions in your head about the nature of, you know, who is real? What is real? What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to think and feel all those things without really having anything to say about it other than, boy, sure is ambiguous, huh? Whereas I feel like Logan's messages about redemption and heroism and parenthood um, and sacrifice, uh, failure and loss and all those things, like, I feel like it has more of a point of view on those issues and does a better job of delivering on them. Uh, there, I think there's just more substance to Logan than there was to Blade Runner. So I'm going to give it to Logan, and I'm trying not to say that just because I have a brand new daughter. <laughs> I was say, there might be a little bias there. Um, hey, look. <laughs> <laughs> I can only watch these things through my own eyes. It's true. Uh, I'm going to cheat because I feel like we should have a separate superhero category. I'll let you go back and add one. But my favorite <laughs> superhero movie of the year, because that was a whole different thing with how much we talk about it, was Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, I would agree with you on that one, yeah. I was really hoping it'd be Thor, but as we found out in our view, I didn't love it, and I just thought Spider-Man had all the right notes. It breathed a new, a different type of newness into superhero movies than Logan did for me, uh, which is barely been a superhero movie, really. And in sort of the, the optimistic, bright, sunny way that I'm looking for, but also maintaining some of the, not going backwards with superhero movies and making them just dull romps. And I'm really excited for that, the positioning of that movie and that franchise in the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially as we start to see clips of him in Infinity War and things like that. But for overall, my favorite movie, I think it has to be Blade Runner 2049 for me. I was really hoping Last Jedi would come in and destroy that, but it didn't, hmm. even though I just saw it. And for all the same reasons you said about Blade Runner of why it was good, I'm going to agree and then put an exclamation point. I thought it was beautifully shot every single shot, standout performances, good questions presented in a way that are actually questions as opposed to, this is, I think it takes a, it's a sign of a really great movie to impress someone who didn't really like the first one if it's it has a <laughs> sequel. So it's been stuck in my head since I've watched it and it was, that was a while ago and I just really, really liked it. And I'm excited to watch it again because I think that it'll be good on a second viewing and a third viewing. And I just hope that it helps to inspire. I know it didn't perform super well at the box office, but I hope that it it inspires more. A, if you're going to revive a dead franchise, do a good job, but also mm. B, just more interesting sci-fi movies that ask compelling questions and have good performances and good scores and are very cinematically minded. All right. So you had Blade Runner and Spider-Man. I had Logan. Um, category three. Best TV show of 2017. 
so you know i <laughs> putting these two next to each other is the the weirdest like what list could this make because i was tied again between the punisher and <laughs> handmaid's <Tale. laughs> yeah on the surface those seem like two very 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 like you feel like the dude whose favorite show was the punisher next to the girlfriend whose favorite show was handmaid's tale like those people are breaking up <laughs> and i'm sure margaret atwood was like rolling her no she's still alive right she's yes still alive? Okay. yes she's yeah. still alive <laughs> Sorry, she was, was in the show <laughs> was she who was she yeah uh she was one of the um she was one of the um the older um you know made the one of the you know the leader ones that, oh okay torture them and such my bad i'm not really up on my like classic literature all the time so that's okay i wouldn't have recognized her somebody had to tell me uh so but i think i think i have to really give it to punisher just because the the sort of underdog nature of this show given how what i was expecting and what i got because handmade still kind of falls in that like premiere like you know it's going to be well almost like you know it's be well crafted and like has a really poignant message and all these things you sort of expect from like a you know a newer premium content from a, a respected publisher. Like I guess Hulu is becoming a respected publisher. I don't know. Uh, you know, one of these independent studio kind of things, you're expecting a, a good product where Punisher, I was just like, ah, this is going to be something. And <laughs> it was something I just, yeah. So I, I think I have to, I and like, once again, this is, it's in similar line with last Jedi, which is like, this has been a very divisive show among the fan base and uh, ranging from best Marvel Netflix show to worst, than Iron Fist Netflix show. And <laughs> so I think, I, I think just, just to, just to put a flag on the ground, I'm going to say Punisher. All right. Um, can you guess what my TV show of the year is? Mm, is it American gods? No. Oh, it's twin peaks. Oh, of course it's twin peaks. <laughs> God dang it. How could it be anything else? I don't know. 18 hours of dream logic nonsense. <laughs> How can I say anything else but Twin Peaks? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it was, you know, I keep coming back to like, what are the things that really like stuck with me and the things that like I'm still turning over in my head and, you know, these things that still kind of seem like they're kind of still vibrating somewhere in the back of my consciousness. Um, Twin Peaks is right there. I mean, and I think the boldness of that show being essentially coming out in a a period of nostalgic cash-ins and fuller house and all of that kind of stuff where it's just like we got a thing that people like so we are going to hit all the notes and the beats that you know are most popular and we're gonna make everybody feel really good about this um and and just cash in twin peaks is weirder, more obtuse, more impenetrable than the original series. It is, and it is such a pure distillation of David Lynch's vision. And it's so rare to see a Showtime, you know, a a network, I guess, whoever, throw so much money at something that is such a gamble, like just so far out there. And not like, okay, well, what did people like from Twin Peaks? They like, they liked Audrey and, you know, they liked Audrey Horn. So we're going to, we're going to have her, you know, and it's going to be all about her and, you know, her boyfriends and whatever. And like, she's in like 15 minutes of the show and they take their central character, Dale Cooper. And for most of the show, he's basically walking comatose. He doesn't really become himself to like last two or three episodes. And to do that, with so much money and so much expectation behind this and to just not take the nostalgia trip, but just go even harder into the weirder, you know, more visionary elements of the show. I unbelievable that it happened and, and it ends so perfectly um, that yeah. Twin peaks, man. I'm glad that they didn't let you down, Greg. <laughs> they did not. Makes me happy when you're happy. What about video <laughs> games? Video games. Um, yeah, man, it's been a weird year for the Vigi games. Um, I want to say Destiny 2 or Horizon Zero Dawn or Dark Souls 3. Was Dark Souls 3 this year? It doesn't matter. But honestly, I mean, when we look at hours played, it's eternal. It's this dippy card game. 
that you free to play card game that you turned me on to. It's mine too, because honestly, that's pretty much the only video game I played this year. And I guess technically it launched this year. So I think, you know, it started, it, you know, pre-release at the end of 2016. But, uh, you know, the third set dropped today. Yeah. And I'm surprised we're actually taking the time to record two whole episodes instead of being like, ah, <laughs> you, you want to you wanna do it tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Um, gonna... So I just, it's a it's being crafted in a way that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think for both the points in our lives where we're at, as far as time to time to put into a video game and, you know, time, time per enjoyment value, I think it's right in that sweet spot where it's complex enough and interesting enough that you can dig in a little bit more than any, some casual game. Uh, yeah. But also not like, okay, if I don't play for six hours at a time, I'm not going to really get a good experience. And I can say, you know, if you are the kind of person who used to play magic and is looking to scratch that itch, this is a great this is a great way to play play a magic style game that doesn't have all of magic's baggage and um uh it it's great again i was a magic purist until this game and now i'm done with magic and i'm all eternal and if you're someone who is came a different route and are really into hearthstone i think that eternal is doing a much better job at making a, a better game a well-balanced game but also a game that is a little bit more uh lenient in and like giving when it comes to like generous when it comes to packs and prizes and things and and not just things that are like scratching that like you know that dopamine niche we talked about in our previous episode this year like actual things that you will use and can contribute to something and where in heart when i started playing hearthstone i was interested in it but it just took me forever to get anything i wanted to do and i'm like i'm gonna play this game like 60 hours before i can even make one one competitive deck and that's not fun or pay a bunch of money and this is not like that. Eternal does a great job of um, giving you rewards at a, at a great pace and keeping you engaged. And um, it's not nearly as much of a grind as you might expect from something that is, um, you know, quote, free to play. And it's free, so check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Category five, disappointment of the year. And the year itself cannot be your disappointment oh, of the man. year. Um, you know, I, I part of me wants to say Iron Fist, but I didn't really have a lot invested in that in the first yeah. place. You weren't and, really expecting too much. And we weren't like Marvel Netflix shows have been pretty solid, but nothing like, I mean, there's, there's parts of them that are really amazing, but you know, yeah, it's, it's I would expect one to stumble. If you would have had to say which one was going to stumble at the beginning of the year, would it be Iron Fist, Defenders or Punisher? I probably wouldn't have said Iron Fist, but, uh, you know, here we are where this is a disappointment and the other one is my favorite show of the year but really for me i think it's gonna have to be game of thrones yeah this season just you know had some high points but a lot of low points and just a departure a a continued departure away from what i would want out of a game of thrones tv show yeah i i'm with you it's i was gonna say stranger things season two but then when i really thought about it it's I didn't expect Stranger Things season two to be very good. I felt like there's no way you're going to capture the same magic again and you're going to throw it together in a year and it's just not going to be as deep. Um, but it really is Game of Thrones. And it's not just because now that they've deviated from the books, they're not telling the story that I want them to tell. Um, you know, it's like we talked about for Last Jedi. It's, you know. It's not that like I had a Game of Thrones story in my head and they told a different story and now I'm upset. It's that Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire started out as a deconstruction of pulpy high high fantasy tropes. And that's what made it great. Among, you know, some great character writing and some some great plotting and great world building, um, it was a deconstruction. And then this season of game of thrones they were just like fuck the deconstruction let's just make a high fantasy show with all of the dumb tropes and it it just it um and not everything has to be a deconstruction i think that thor ragnarok just embraced being a big dumb superhero space movie and was good for it but we all got on board with game of thrones because it was a deconstruction and then to just walk away from that is very very disappointing 
yeah i i just it comes down to execution just like don't make bad shows i mean, that's all it, that's all it comes down to is like yeah don't, and don't move away from like understand you know and, and unlike star wars we know what game of thrones is and why people like it so don't or at least we know right. what a song of ice and fire is and why people like it so and why game of thrones is popular to begin with and i think that unfortunately it's not just like it's not just the nerds who are like mm, i don't like this anymore because it's not the books you know it's like people of all you know spectrums of yes. nerddom are unhappy with recent seasons of the show it, and especially this season it went from being subversive and very very carefully plotted you know like all of the laborious chapters of characters walking from place to place like that mattered because it takes time to do things in a world without fast transportation and mass communication. And that creates problems for the characters. We need to go there with them. It's carefully plotted out and no, so-and-so can't show up to save the day because he's a hundred miles away. And that takes a week and a half to travel. Um, and that's the way the stories worked. And that was one of the things that hooked everybody carefully plotted and a deconstruction. And then they're like, Nope, no more subversive stuff. It's all dragons. And now there's an evil dragon. And um, and also carefully plotted. No, we're going to go the Star Wars route of like, don't really worry how long it takes anybody to get anywhere. Luke's training on Dagobah in the same amount of time it takes the like uh, Han and Leia to like escape a space worm. Like, don't worry about it. It's fine. But that's because when we went to Star Wars, we were like, you guys can play fast and loose with the timing. We're cool. That's not what we're here for. But then Game of Thrones, like, we came here because this was a book where everything was thought out and everything did add up, and now it's not. So, yeah, I, very, very, very disappointing. And maybe they can course correct in the last season, which is going to come out in 20 years or whatever, but uh, I have my doubts. No. <laughs> yes, they're not. No. So what would be uh, a trend you want to see continue that you saw, a trend this year that you would like to see continue in the future? Um, so this kind of goes counter to the glowing praise I had earlier for Logan being my movie of the year, <laughs> but, um, I think it is the optimistic superhero film. Um, so that uh, Thor Ragnarok as an example, uh, the new Spider-Man as an example, parts of justice league. They do not redeem justice league. I don't even know if the optimistic parts were the best parts of that movie. <laughs> um, wonder woman is another example of the optimistic feeling um the characters are charismatic and they're just fun to watch you can't wait to see them on screen and you just want to see them get into adventures um logan i think was kind of the high watermark for the gritty character driven dramatic emotionally weighty superhero movie we did it we got it we nailed it now let's just let's have some fun again for a little while um uh, and I'm probably going to, uh, after a while, I'm going to want things to get a little bit more grounded and realistic again, but this is not that year. Um, and I think there's a good exercise. If you watch the trailers for Age of Ultron and the trailer for Infinity War back to back, you can kind of see how the tone is changing. Even though the trailers have a very similar kind of structure where you're like, you see these kind of cuts of action scenes and just like dramatic shots um, and you kind of hear the villain narrating it. Um, but the Infinity War trailer, it's like, you're like, man, I cannot wait to see all my superhero friends get together again and stomp the hell out of this purple weirdo. Whereas Age of Ultron, it was like, all of the Avengers hate each other and this silver monster is going to murder them. And it's just going to be a huge fucking bummer for everybody. And... That had its time and its place, but I think now I am ready for bright, funny, charismatic, um, exciting, you know, I want to cheer for the heroes again, not, you know, not see them be tortured. And then again, not that I didn't like seeing them be tortured in Logan. I just, I've, I've had enough cheeseburgers. It's time for ice cream. <laughs> uh, I will want cheeseburgers again. Yeah. So mine is the kind of, um, it's interesting how it sort of parallels yours but in different ways that I was, had a trouble thinking for this one, but I, I had this idea that in my mind, we've seen an, like an explosion of content in every different direction. We've had R-rated superhero movies. We've had family fun superhero movies. We've had, you know, anthology show. We've had deep serialized show. We've had fantasy. We've had sci-fi. We've had adaptations of all kinds of things. 
And a lot of it's really good. So my thing is just, I want to continue to see everything be done. I want cheeseburgers and ice cream and French fries <laughs> and a salad and beer and whiskey. I want it all as long as it's good. And if I'm okay with having a little bit of everything, like we don't need to keep riding. There's so much room, despite a point of news we'll get to in a little bit, which can't mm-hmm. go not talked about, but there's so much room for content of varying types. And there seems to be an appetite to fund a bunch of different weird things of all varying types as opposed to, uh, no, it's zombies. We're only doing zombies. What yeah. you want to do? Go- no, zombies. And it's like, that was like five, <laughs> 10 years ago. We're now it's like, you want to have, you know, on one hand, you've got like Deadpool and then you've got, you know, Logan, two different movies, both are racist movies that go in completely different directions. Mm-hmm. You know, even occupying some of the same space, you've got very divergent activity going on. So my thing is, let's keep expanding the web and go in every direction possible for whether it's adaptations or new content. Just keep pushing the boundaries because I think we 2017 is has really shown that. And I think some of the things we have coming up in 2018 especially some of these anthology shows and things. I think we're really exploring some new interesting ground despite, and we're also doing good adaptations. Like we can do both. We can have new fun, exciting stories. We can also do adaptations. Like there can be both and they can both exist and that's okay. As long as you do them well. So what about music, man? Oof. You got to go first on this one. Cause I don't know if I have an answer. <laughs> so I struggled with this because I, I looked, so here's, here's my, here's my method for determining this was I went to my iTunes library. Yes. I still have an iTunes library. And I said, I sorted it by year and saw, you know, for 2017 to see what albums actually came out this year. Because sometimes you get confused on what you just got this year and what, you mm-hmm. know, what we've I only had like four records in there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man, I'm I'm behind. I'm getting being that old man who doesn't keep up with the times. However, I am changing that by pursuing Spotify in the new year. I know joining the joining the the 20th century, 21st century. Yeah. Uh, I still use my iPod for things. So it has a place and a purpose. Uh, even though it's eight years old and I'm just waiting for the day that it stops working, but I'm going to be trying to be a little bit better about the whole, the whole stream and music thing. <laughs> but I did have one that stuck out and I've talked about it before and I'm going to talk about it some more, but Arion's the source. It is yeah. cheesy, cheesy bullshit. And it's awesome. It is just all your favorite power and progressive metal vocalists on one album, well put together, telling a goofy ass story about an hour and a half long with great instrumentation and it's just a blast i can't get out of my head (laughs) you nerd if that's your thing check it out though because it it is legitimately really good if you like that sort of thing if if you're like if you're kind of like oh man like i feel like prog metal is kind of going down the tube since like you know 2005 then (laughs) you should look into this because it's it's pretty damn good if you like the cheese all right i have two because then I'm not sure which one I would go with. The first one is um, the album Mirror Reaper by Bell Witch. It is one track, 83 minutes. <laughs> That's a great album um, right there. It is hypnotic. And it is an album that like you need to embrace as like the next hour 20 is me listening to this and having an experience of this work um it is i don't even know if you can call it doom metal anymore it incorporates a lot of kind of funeral doom um but it is it listening to this thing fucks with your perception of time and space that's all i can say uh it's kind of a transcendental experience um uh the other one would be um the new wolves in the throne room um it's just a really great fucking um you know kind of uh you know atmospheric black metal kind of thing um it is wolves in the throne room they're doing what they do the album's called thrice woven it's very very good it's more songy than obviously bell witch which is yeah song is not even really a term that can encompass this thing anymore so interesting uh i think we should definitely try to make that wolves in the throne room enslaved concert happen yeah and um mir kerr i think is also on that uh bill too right i, th- I think so yeah she's pretty awesome yeah so uh, all right greg what about what about the last one how about we do surprise of the year surprise of the year and this is where we're gonna um 
Well, you go first because yeah. mine, I think, is going to be a big thing. Yeah, we'll divulge a little bit. So, you know, I had a couple ideas of like, oh, how bittersweet Thor Ragnarok was for me, or maybe how good Shield has continued to be, or how far the DCCW shows have fallen. But really, what emerges to me is is the the Disney Fox acquisition is not a piece of media that has surprised me, but has you know big effects on the world that we talk about a yeah. lot. And if you would have asked me a year ago and said, even though it makes complete sense in some ways, I would have never have guessed in, in a million years that Disney was going to buy 21st Century Fox. Yeah. And this idea of one, you know, ownership of all of these properties, because like Disney owns The Simpsons now. I mean, we are bogged down and thinking about like, oh man, X-Men and Fantastic Four back in the, you know, back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe fold like cool i guess but also like disney owns the simpsons disney owns family guy disney owns uh archer disney owns always sunny in philadelphia um and, this is and back weird. catalogs of things like disney owns die hard disney owns the <laughs> alien and predator franchises disney owns firefly if you say so it, they do and Things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and things, because they actually said this deal was actually even more about the back catalogs than it was yes. about current rights, because people love watching these shows over and over again. And for some reason, some of these shows have ended up in the hands, despite, you know, Buffy being like a, a what a WB show back in the day, whatever. I guess they have somehow ended up in Fox's hands or shows that, you know, movie franchises that were just owned by that studio that. I mean, Home Alone things that you just wouldn't even think of that, like, there's a, you can find lists online of just, like, all the things that Disney owns now. And like you said, yeah, we were so caught up initially. It was like, oh, Wolverine's going to stab Doctor Doom, you know, and it's going to be awesome. But, like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention is... the streaming rights, like, you know, now they have 60% of ownership of Hulu. And, and how does that relate to what is going to happen with Hulu versus the Disney streaming service? and Oh, it's just a mess. And what becomes of Netflix once all of these TV shows and movies are like, no, they will not be on Netflix. They will be on the Disney stream or they'll be on Hulu. Because it seems like Disney's l maybe looking at now Hulu is where they put more of their adult oriented content. The, whatever the upcoming Disney streaming service is more of their family content. Who knows? It's going to be a weird couple of years while this stuff gets sorted. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's still possibility that it could be you know, turned over by some antitrust laws, but I don't think there's a lot of weight to that. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, yeah, the streaming services, I think, are the only places where the antitrust laws might come into play. Otherwise, it's like, you can't, there's there's no, there's no way antitrust is going to hold up of just intellectual property. Like, you own too many good ideas, we have to break them up. Like, no, because anybody can come up with, theoretically, anyone can come up with the next big, movie idea tomorrow um it's not that disney now owns all the good movies somebody could come up with a new superhero tomorrow and not you know and not have to go through the gatekeeper so yeah so it's very interesting and i am definitely curious how it plays out i mean they did confirm that x-men and fantastic four will be in this mcu not yeah. a separate thing they also said it sounds like there's some discussion of trying to leave some space for art because a lot of people were like oh no more r-rated superhero movies but it sounds like there might be some room that because disney's not going to make all of 21st century fox pg now no no that would be foolish they know deadpool makes money they know logan made money i think that what they'll probably do is something like uh the marvel max imprint in comics where um that's where the you know um that's where their adult oriented titles that had you know, amped up sex and violence went to, I would not be surprised at all if um, Dis Disney carved out a, you know, um, and there's canonical reasons why Deadpool is not going to cross over because Disney doesn't want a kid who loves the, you know, a 10 year old who loves the Avengers feeling like he needs to see Deadpool to see the whole thing. They don't want that. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And Disney's got a good track record so far. So uh, I can't wait to see them make some X-Men movies well. Yeah, uh, definitely be interesting. So, Greg, what was your surprise of the year? My surprise of the year was The Punisher. I um, I not only had low expectations for this show just from a quality perspective, because I, was, I wasn't convinced that you could make 10 episodes of Frank Castle, or 12, right? 13. However many they were. Um, episodes of that be compelling. 
Um, but uh, I also had issues of just like, I don't know if it is morally defensible to make this show right now. Um, and just, I had like going into it, philosophical objections to the character being elevated to to a hero and being put on the same level as other more altruistic traditional superheroes in a cultural context when a lot of angry white dudes were using guns to communicate with the world. But holy shit, was it not only an incredibly well-made show that made Frank Castle an incredibly compelling character, but it actually managed to not only dodge all of the weird cultural shit around angry white guy with guns, but also serve as a commentary on that and serve as a meditation on violence and PTSD and our, our violent culture. I mean, I was stunned and also because the trailer they put out <laughs> made this show seem like, hey, do you like Metallica and shooting terrorists? You're going to love the Punisher. Yeah, I mean, and <coughs> we're going to kind of do a, a, a brief discussion of this. So spoiler alert in case you weren't <laughs> expecting it. Um, I mean, I, I have obviously since I named it my favorite show of the year, I have almost entirely positive things to say about the show. I, I think it's a perfect example of how trailers and marketing campaigns can be so misleading it, even like the intro to the show is like doesn't really align with like the rest of the show because it's all just like yeah. gun blueprints and like bullets and whatever and it's just like that's not what the show is about at all i mean the the like i don't know one thing i liked about the violence was over top in a way that i feel like the punisher should be but it did such a good job of keeping those moments super intense but also really far between one another like, there's some episodes yes. just like not really action at all and like the punisher's body count is well by the end of the movie it's pretty high but like for a good portion of it, it's pretty dang low for a character that's defining feature is killing people. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that they the way they made it that because they even addressed the idea of because there was that kind of there was the, the subplot of the other, you know, the other soldier who had come back and who like was trying to use violence to communicate and making a very clear statement that like, while this is a very violent show using violence to communicate is wrong. And that, you know, the violence that Frank Castle is doing is almost all defensive for one, like almost all the bad guys come to him and he shoots back. Like he rarely goes into a situation planning to, you know, shoot, shoot up a, a room full of dudes. Um, he, uh, and the characters who do use violence indiscriminately are clearly, clearly shown to be morally and ethically wrong. Because again, there's a fine line of walking of like the Punisher. He's trying to send a message to crime and send a message to the government about blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not a good message in 2017, but um, they, they threaded the needle. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Yeah. I mean, the, it's funny. Cause the, I think the show you expected to happen was shown in the first three minutes of the show, his yeah. quest of revenge against the people that all the different gangs and crime bosses and things that killed his family. And then you see all that in a little montage at the beginning. And then he burns his skull, you know, whatever, uh, tactical vest. Yeah. And then he goes to be a normal guy, but which I must say kind of dumb, Frank, <laughs> yeah. like you're a wanted mass murderer who faked his own, who who's escaped from prison and um faked his own death maybe the place to hang out isn't just like across the river from where you used to live <laughs> like i don't know dude just like move to alabama or something yeah, <laughs> like, like go to california anywhere just don't go back to new york man Beard is not fooling anybody and it's like also you were out there you were in like arizona it's where you killed the last dude just stay there bro anyway. yeah but I thought that John Bernthal's performance was riveting. I mm -hmm. couldn't take my eyes off him whenever he was on the screen. He's like manic, but not like over the top in like a like caricature way. Super intense and stoic, but not boring. These are, he said, hard needles to thread. You know, at any point, I felt like he was going to kill everyone in the room, but still sympathized and identified with him. And just like the combination of like his performance and like the writing and the characterization 
brought Frank Castle to a level that I don't know that I've seen in anything. And like you say, gave credence to a character that I thought might be past its time. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was a it was a case of, and it, it's well trodden ground, but like violence is all he knows, and characters call him out on like he goes to that solution pretty quick. But it's also like this is what his you know this is what war has turned him into and like this is you know he this is the only thing he knows how to do and you know i think that what the vessel of you know the sort of dynamic between micro and punisher the bromance there he was oftentimes the voice of like what the hell are you doing you know and that was and like it worked so great and once again they elevated micro's character just like you know just like the nerdy hacker guy that the punisher kind of needs like he like there were times where I thought the show was veering on some of this stuff and he would usually bring it back or something in there. Some of the stuff with like his family and, and Frank, I was kind of like a couple points. I'm like, is this going to go a really weird route? But then like it would always kind of correct itself before it got to a point where I thought it was off the yeah. rails. And also just one other minor note is like I just love that they didn't make like hacking into some sort of like plot solve all magic that like it is on so many TV shows. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I um. I do think that the one place they veered into really weak territory was when they had their mini gun control conversation because number one, I mean, as someone who believes in gun control, I felt like my side of the debate was pretty poorly represented on that show. Um, But I also feel like they didn't do a very good job of representing the other side of that debate other than like, Hey, the Punisher uses guns and he's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Like, I felt like they might have missed the mark, especially on the social responsibility side of things, because I think that, um, you know, I don't think a good argument for, um, you know, no, for, for loose gun control is that you never know when a crazy terrorist is going to grab you in a laundry room. Yeah. Or you never know when you're going to be involved in a shootout in a hotel room. I don't think that's a great argument because I Mm -hmm. really don't like the idea of armed people walking around feeling like any minute now a gun gun battle is going to jump jump off because as we've seen our trained police officers can't tell the difference between a wallet and a gun. And so I don't trust Karen page to do that either, but like, I just feel like, okay, so they felt like they had to address this in some way, but what I would have liked to have seen them do um, would be actually have the gun control side of the debate actually have a like valid surrogate there. Like a lot of times you see on, on, you know, in, in Marvel movies and I don't know if they've ever done this on a TV show, but we're like, they have like a real life person come in. Like a lot of times they'll do it with like newscasters or, you know, like media personalities, they'll show up at kind of as themselves, but like actually have a, you know, a a gun control voice that was a little bit more realistic and not as kind of a caricature of um of gun control like they had with that that senator character but i still think the best gun control episode by any show was the it's always sunny episode <laughs> gun fever <laughs> yep i still think it's the best episode on gun control out there yeah. um no i agree with you. i think it was a little bit weak i saw an art- a headline that was like you know punisher tries to say a lot about gun control but doesn't really say anything at all and it's like yeah um but I agree with you that that was probably the weakest point. And one thing, another thing I really liked about the show uh, was Madani, like that plot, like that engaged me where in a lot of the other Marvel shows, the other subplot, what's going on when you aren't with the hero always yes. feels like a trudge. And it didn't feel like a trudge in this show to me. Cause I thought that like all kind of the three storylines, like Frank's story, Madani's storyline. And uh, I forget the kid's name. Um, but the, the kid who came back and he was like, the, yeah, the, with the problems of the military, like a, cause all three stories sort of started to converge in a way that made sense. And same people were like, ended at a point that made sense or converged. And, but I just thought they were all pretty engaging. And like, I liked her character. She was a really interesting, you know, role that was, that was put together and was a strong representation. I just really, and like her relationship with the Punisher, I thought was good. I just thought it's just like, they just really nailed that connection. And especially towards the end of the show, I mean, those last two episodes are <laughs> intense. And yes. I kind of thought, the because the, the second last episode is just like, holy shit, that was a lot. So I guess, the and it kind of comes to a little bit of a conclusion. So you're kind of like, oh, maybe the, the last episode will kind of be like falling action. Nope. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> pedal to the metal, let's get back in there. And 
I mean, what do you think of uh, Billy Russo? I liked him. I knew. You, I mean, yeah, you knew he's Jigsaw. Uh, yeah, and also be. like you, you know, like oh, he's the he's the pretty rich guy who has a past with with Castle. He's gonna end up being a bad guy, like obviously. Um, I I feel like they did a good job of setting up like you know two guys who are kind of tainted by the war and the things they'd done and you know how it had kind of compromised their personalities. What I thought was kind of interesting about the final showdown with Billy Russo was that this throughout this, like I almost feel like Frank Castle has a fall as a character, like because his final act is so he's got this he he you know basically he's got Billy Russo dead to rights and this guy is clearly a threat to Frank, like you know he's a part of Frank's revenge taking this guy out um, because he was a part of the whole plot that, you know, set Frank on this path. Now um, he's clearly a bad dude who murders and kidnaps. So by Frank's logic, taking this guy off the board is a good thing for the world. And yet he spares him. And maybe we're supposed to feel like that. He's, he's somehow like had some kind of redemptive arc here, but it's really more like, Oh no, he's gone from being someone who just kills because to for him that's the most efficient way to take bad people out of the out of the game, you know, to someone who is more sadistic and wants to emotionally torture these people. And to me, that's a very bold choice of being like, no, Frank Castle is a is a bad man who is getting worse. <laughs> Like that's a bold direction for this character, and I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, it has been renewed for a second season, uh, and you know, I, I, you know, expecting the the appearance of Jigsaw. I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. The dragging up his face along a carousel glass was definitely a that, that whole scene was very interesting. Just like setting it on a carousel and just like just made this really weird dynamic that I really enjoyed because like so many action things have just taken place in like. A warehouse. A warehouse. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, but like, yeah, setting on a colorful carousel. And like, one thing I liked about the about the betrayal and the writing of the Punisher is just like, even though he's brutal and sadistic sometimes, the Punisher wants to save people. Like, he's heroic in that way. In that like, you know, he's not telling Russo, I'm going to kill, he's not going to hunt Russo down because he's there. He's going because he has vi hostages that he needs to save. And like, yeah. throughout the movie, he is putting himself in harm's way perpetually to save people and that's sort of the part that like helps to keep him just maybe bobbing above the waters that will lead to him not being a hero and i thought that was well played because it's really easy just to turn the punisher into a how he's been portrayed in other movies where like he's mostly just focused on killing people yeah as opposed to saving people which is you know a line that is important for a hero to have i think so i don't know i just i was really happy with it and i'm excited to see where it goes it felt a little bit maybe in a good way disconnected from the rest of the stuff besides the stuff with Karen page, which is probably some of the weaker points of it all overall. Uh, but it does feel weird to have this, like think this is the same world that like the Avengers are running around in. Cause it didn't really feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. Cause like, this, this could have been just like any show. I would have liked it. Even without the Punisher, this could have just been like on some, just like a mini series on HBO, just about some other guy. And I, I think it would have been a good show. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it doesn't need to be connected to the Marvel universe. And I think that, Maybe it's better that it doesn't connect because, um, like we've talked about, like you start to run into questions of like, how does Captain America let Frank Castle get away with this? <laughs> right. Right. Like at some point, you know, they would say like, no, you, I understand these are bad guys and that there's a military conspiracy at work here, but you know, maybe don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I will be curious to see. I mean, it's such a tight story on its own that I and like the way it ends with him going to that veterans meeting and saying he's scared for the first time. You know, it's a very poignant way to end a show. Um, I wonder what how you move on from here. Although, like you said, I am interested in some things, but yeah, because I think again, treading that ground carefully of like where does he become a symbol for bad uses of violence? Um, it's one thing, and they 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 dodged it well here by making it like everybody is coming after him. For the most part, he rarely goes out in to murder somebody and they're all involved in this insidious conspiracy from his past. Once those are all taken care of, now he is and, he, you know, the, the, the story that's left 
you know, I guess Jigsaw is going to come knocking for him, but, um, uh, but then it's the same, it's the same story again. Um, then, it, but now it becomes him hunting down people that now he has marked for death, which is a dangerous thing in American society. You know, now we have a private citizen who has just picked somebody out of the phone book because they've got, you know, you know, they're a known criminal or something, um, and decides to go out and go hunting. That's a little bit more problematic. So we'll see what they do. Yeah, I mean, I, I trust if it's the same kind of people behind it, I trust because they did it. So this time I can't imagine they'll sink back into something as negligent as that. Yeah. But yeah. Yes, yeah, so that was our little mini Punisher review. Yeah, in, we got stuck we, in the middle of our. <laughs> we got around to it. I just really wanted to talk about it. I no, it so well, much, I, think, so. I think this was a good place to do it because I think that, that really where it fits for me was my surprise of the year 2017. So yeah, and uh, I hopefully we'll have a better 2018 in a lot of ways, and and we definitely got some big big pieces of media coming out. So a lot to talk about. Yeah, well, it has to be better, right? I mean, how could hell be any worse? In 2017, it's true. To borrow, to borrow a phrase, this is this is that year. This is that part in the movie franchise where it's like you know Friday the 13th Part 50, where it's like Jason goes to hell. That's where we're at right now in our in our time as like a country and people. Yes, we have to hope that 2017 is our is our dark middle chapter. This is our this is our two towers, and you know we're coming out of this with uh, you know. Um, Frodo's wrapped up in the spider's lair and Han is frozen in carbonite. And, um, I guess, um, Marty has to go back to the wild West. <laughs> I don't know if that one holds up. <laughs> I'm not sure that fits anyway. Uh, all right, guy. Well, I think that does it for us for, for this week and this year. Yeah. So have all a right. good, have good holidays. And, uh, and, 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 and to you all you out there, if you want to chime in with your best ofs, we'd love to hear about them. Yes, or, or yell at us for ours because we always like that too. <laughs> Look, we all know that they disagree with me. That's who they're disagreeing <laughs> with. It's me. Not all the time. I'm Not the villain in this. Not all all the right, time. guy. Well, have all a right. Merry Christmas. You too.